All right, well, I decided let's get the white elephant out of the room. We'll uh, remove the sheet. Yes, I am wearing jeans. Thank you. We'll have this showing later at 11 o'clock. You remember, I'm going to get to this in a moment as to why I'm wearing jeans. So for those of you who are already emailing Pastor Jack at SR Pastor, um, you can wait a minute so you understand why So before you send that. Um, I traveled a lot growing up, and I had brothers and sisters, and we always traveled in the car together, smushed. And we always played this game, and probably a lot of you remember this if you ever played this. And if you have played this, when I say it, I want you to raise your hand. How many of you remember the game I Spy? Yeah, okay, a lot of us. The whole, the whole thing about I Spy is, you know, you're driving and you're going along and you look around and somebody's the one who says I Spy and they find an object that they see and they say I Spy something green uh, and I Spy something round, you know, or I Spy something brown. And then the other people in the car have to guess what it is. And when they guess it, then, you know, they win or whatever. Or if they lose, you keep going. Well, what I want to do now is I want to take a moment and I want us to play I Spy. You're thinking, great, I came to church today and our pastor is wearing jeans, first of all, and now he's asking us to play a game of I Spy. Just trust me. You've got to learn to trust leadership. So what I want to do, some of you, some of you are going to get that. So what I want to do is I want you to stand right where you're at. And I want you to begin to eye spy. Don't tell anybody what you're spying. I just want you to get something in, in this auditorium, in this sanctuary. Get something with your eyes, okay? Husbands, it's not your wife. <laughs> but anyways, what I want you to do is I want you to find somebody in this auditorium, in this sanctuary that you don't know. And I want you to tell them your first name and then take turns and say, I spy and describe what you see. Okay? Ready? Go. Now comes the fun part. What did you spy? Let's ask the audience. I feel like I'm on a game show. What did you spy? What were some of the comments that somebody gave? What did you spy? Garbage bags. What else? What did you spy out? A microphone. What? The trees. The what? The emergency fire alarm. What else? The flowers. There's a little white dot. I see it right here on the, on the floor. That's good eyes. What else? The eagle on the flagpole. Now, there's a reason why I'm asking you all these things is because Last week we started this series on vivid color and how we release the bright colors of God into the community of people that don't know Jesus. And it's interesting because wherever we place the gaze of our eyes, we encounter some form of color. And so hopefully in the midst of your game of I Spy, you added some type of color in there. For example, somebody said they, read, they recognized the red fire alarm. And as I look around here, I can I spy many things. I spy a piano that is black. I spy the walls that are white. I spy the color of this carpet, which is burgundy or red or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> but we are exposed to color on a regular basis. And last week, Pastor Jack had this interesting scientific fact, fact of saying that color actually 
produces light, and light is color. And I got to thinking about that, and I've come to believe that if color is light and light is color, then there are definite possibilities of dimming and fading. And the reason I say that is because in the scriptures, Jesus told us that as his followers, we are called to be salt and light. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that simply means that you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, and you declare willingly that you voluntarily submit to the leadership of him and that you choose to follow his teachings the rest of your life and that he is the only way to eternal salvation. And so I've come to this conclusion that followers of Jesus, one of our hallmarks is that simply we are flavor and we are light. Salt and light. You know, it's interesting. A couple of weeks ago, I went back to my hometown in Cory. And I was there and I was traveling around. I like to travel through, throughout the town and just see what's new, what's being put up, what's being torn down. And when I was there, I noticed that there was this New Age store. Now, you've got to understand a little bit about me. I have a ministry and several of us that we actually minister to psychics and witches and, and people who are in the occult because I came out of that and God called me back to witness to them and spend time with them. And I spent a lot of time just loving on these people and talking to them about Jesus. And I could go on with stories and stories, but I don't have a lot of time today. But I want to talk to you about this particular one where I had an opportunity to display my color and my flavor as a follower of Jesus. So I walked into this New Age store, and I'm walking around, and I'm kind of getting a, a look at the atmosphere and what's going on. And I noticed the clerk behind the desk, and she's making conversation with some people. And I'm kind of just getting a feel, and I'm saying, okay, God, you know, what, what do you want me to say to this girl? What, what are you going to do? So we get to talking, and I asked her, and I said, so, so are you a witch? And she said, no. I said, are you a psychic? No. Are you a druid? No. Are you going to tell me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she says, I'm a medium. I said, oh, okay. I said, so you're the type of person that has this ability to spiritually communicate with the dead, right? And, you know, talk to them and all these things. She said, yeah, and my mom's a psychic. And I said, oh, so she has the ability to hear what's going on right now and tell you about your future. She said, yeah. She said, well, you know a lot of bit about this. I said, yeah, a little bit. I'm thinking, honey, you don't know what I know. And so, anyways, we start talking in this conversation, and as we go deeper in the conversation, I said, so tell me, tell me a little bit about your gifts. And she said, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I know I can see things in the spirit realm, and, and I can interact with things. And I said, oh, that's fascinating. I said, I can do the same thing. She said, really? I said, oh, yeah, yeah. I said, I said you know, here's a good question for you. I, I said, when, when I came in your store, what color was my aura? See, that word aura to them is like this this thing of, of what our energy or our spirit and what color it is. And people in the occult identify that and they say, you know, well, we can identify them if their aura is green or blue or, or white, you know. And so I asked her, I asked her a serious question. I said, what color was my aura when I walked in here? And she said, you know, that's a good question. I said, why? She said, well, when you came in here, she said, your aura was so bright and it was so white. And it was moving in this back and forth rapid motion. And it wouldn't stop, and it's still not stopping. I said, really? So tell me more. She said, well, when I tried to connect my aura to your aura, it was as though it was protected, and I couldn't touch it. That's what's up. <laughs> 
So I go back and I was like, so we start talking and before you know it, I start talking to her about having faith and, and growing in a relationship with Jesus and all these things. And when I left that store, I immediately thought, I'm like, okay, God, what did she see? You know, what was it that she saw? And I remember reading in Genesis, it says that in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, that the spirit of God hovered over the waters. And if you look up that word hovered, it means to move in a rapid back and forth motion. And I said to God, I said, wow, did she encounter the Holy Spirit at that moment? I really firmly believe that she did encounter the Holy Spirit. But I want to propose this to us as a community today. Is that unresolved offenses darken the community. Unresolved offenses darken the community. Basically this. How we choose to respond to gossip or to slander or to false accusation or even deep-seated issues that we have carried towards another individual, maybe in our family or a friend or somebody in this community of faith, has the effect to either dim, dull, or fade the inner light that God has placed within us as followers of Jesus. But here's the catch. It not only affects us personally, it not only affects us personally as followers of Jesus, but it darkens and affects the rest of the community of Christ. You know, it's interesting. A few years ago when I was a youth pastor, I just started out in the ministry, and it's hard to believe it's been quite a long time. I grew in relationship with my senior pastor, and we had a pretty decent relationship, but there came a point one day where I was in his office, and he said some things to me, and we exchanged some words that I found to be very offensive. And he said some words that personally struck my heart. And not understanding biblical authority or, or understanding the cause and effect of offense, I harbored deep emotion and deep offense against him from that day forward. So much that it came to the point that I was so offended by him that instead of going to him and talking to him and discussing about what I felt was offensive to me, I harbored it and I placed it deep down in my heart thinking that I could get over it and that I really didn't have to communicate or deal with him. And so it came to a point that I was dealing so much with offense that I came to a place I did not want to be in the same room with him. I was so disgusted with what he had said to me. And months had gone by. It got so bad that it came to the place where I would actually talk about him to some of my leadership because I felt that they would understand. Not that any of us do that. I'm just talking about me personally. Um, some of you will get that in a moment. I know you're still waking up. Um, but, but I came to this place where it was so bad, and I was so offended to even be in his presence that it affected our work and our relationship. But not only did it affect our work and our relationship, it began to affect the community of Christ that I was pastoring with. See, I allowed off-colored thoughts to dominate my conversation. I allowed these off-colored thoughts in my mind to take root into my heart. And I began to run with them. That word off-color is an actual word found in the dictionary. It means to be in violation of good taste or verging on the indecent. When we have those thoughts of offense... And we're irritated and we're disgusted because somebody slandered us. 
or because someone did something to us that was unjust. It's on the verge of indecent. And somewhere in the midst of that conversation, I allowed those off-color thoughts to rule and dominate my way of living. And it affected not only my relationship, but also that community. On your slip there, you'll see we put a quote by author John Bevere. And this is what John Bevere states. Offense is a tool of the devil to bring people into captivity. You know, when I read that years ago, something clicked inside of me. And as I was still under the leadership of my senior pastor, I realized that I was being held hostage by offense. And not only was I being held hostage by offense, the crazy thing was is I willingly submitted myself to being held hostage by offense. And on top of that, not only was I held hostage by offense, not only did I submit myself to that offense, my inner light, my inner color was dim, burning out, and fading. It's interesting, if we look in the scriptures, we find this group of early followers of Jesus located in the city called Ephesus. Ephesus was a pretty unique place. Ephesus had more than 22 temples built specifically for 44 ruling deities. Pagan idols that were not dedicated to to God or to anything to do with God's worship. These followers of Jesus were exposed to human sacrifice in the temples on a daily basis. They were exposed to passing by the buffet line, which the resource of that buffet line in order to make that happen was all the food that was previously sacrificed and offered to the idols. So afterwards, everyone would come out and indulge in the buffet after all the rituals and the erotic rituals that took place mingled with worship. Now, some of you still haven't listened to a word I said because you can't get past my genes. Because you're offended right now that a pastor is standing on a Paul, in, a, in a church, on a stage, ministering the gospel with a pair of jeans on. You've got to get past it. Because let me tell you this, the early followers of Christ, and some of you are saying, oh my gosh, the message, the gospel is getting compromised. You better look up the word compromise. Because understand this, the early followers of Jesus were not concerned about what type of sandals they were wearing to the temple that day. They weren't concerned if they had the right robes on. They had to worry and had to overcome the avenue of offense that they were facing and learn how to deal with reconciliation among the people who didn't love Jesus. Because they were dealing with offensive things going on in those temples. Can you imagine walking down the street and hearing somebody talk about the human sacrifice that took place in the temple the other day? Can you imagine asking your, having your children ask you and say, Mommy, Daddy, um, what, does, what does sex mean? And why do, they, why do they say that they have to have sex and worship their gods at the same time? What does that mean? That's what they had to overcome. And we're worried about whether a pastor's wearing jeans on stage. In the midst of their economy and in their life, there was this main temple. It was the Temple of Artemis, or known as the Temple of Diana. This temple is known as one of the seven wonders of the world. This temple was built 450 feet long, 220 feet wide, with 120 columns around it. 
Artemis was known as the fertility goddess. So that meant you could not worship Artemis without giving erotic offerings or engaging in some form of human sacrifice where blood would be spilt in order to engage the powers that you needed. And so here in the hub of the seven wonders of the world, we find a community of believers known as the Church of Ephesus who face great, great avenues of offense that they could have chosen to go down. But instead, Paul writes in the book of Ephesians and tells them step by step how to overcome those offenses and walk as a people of reconciliation. So I want you to join with me this morning on your outlines or on the screen behind me or else in your Bibles in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 25. This is what it says. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. That word falsehood, I want you to put a circle around it. Because I'm going to come back to that in a few minutes. That's an important word for us. But see, Jesus has planted within us a consistent need to develop the internal arena of our hearts. There is this place in our hearts that Jesus wants fully. And he's the type of guy that when he purchases something, he doesn't want to contend with anything else. He's the type of guy that when he buys the house, he has plans for it. And he doesn't want anybody there that shouldn't be there. When he buys the house, he wants to make sure the house isn't destroyed. He wants it fully intact and he wants to make sure he's getting what he paid for. Our hearts are the same way. And in order for us to do this, we must keep a refreshing openness. We must keep a refreshing openness. We have to keep a continuing openness with the Holy Spirit. Because if we don't, we're in danger. We're in danger of offense. The interesting thing is about God is that his intention for our hearts is to become so transformed with our hearts that it becomes his full place of residence. And he doesn't want any other roommates. He just wants him. God the Father, God the Son, and Holy Spirit. The residence of our hearts is only designed to withhold the capacity of God. That means that falsehood or that offense has no right sharing the same quarters as God. Located deep within our hearts is this well of living water. And the purpose of Holy Spirit, part of his portfolio is to constantly sift through the well of our hearts and make sure there's no grit, there's no grime. There's nothing that will spoil that fresh water. And if we don't keep that refreshing openness between us and Holy Spirit, then things begin to get stale, and things begin to get stinky, and things begin to rot. And then when we go and we try to drink from that, and we try to nourish ourselves from that, and it doesn't do us any good. The same way is this with offense, is that when we become a people of offense, when we're offended, and we're not willing to reconcile. We become stale on the inside. And our living water becomes still. There is no movement to it. Our light becomes dim. And our color fades. That word falsehood that I had you put a circle around. It means deceitful scheming and anger. 
And Paul is giving instruction to the church of Ephesus as well to us saying, hey guys, listen, here's the deal. I know that there's a lot of junk going on. And I really understand that this is really blasphemous towards what God has called us to do. But here's the deal. You cannot have anger and deceitful scheming in your hearts because it will affect the rest of the community and it will affect you personally. So you have to get rid of it. He's saying it has no place among us. Now, as you can tell here, today I've provided us with three black bags. There's a reason why I'm putting on these rubber gloves. Because that's not fake garbage in there. It's real. And you see, what's pretty interesting is, is this. What happens when we get offended is it's like trash. Now, see, there's a purpose to trash, and there's only one, and it's to get rid of it because it's worthless. I mean, the reason we throw this out is because we have no use for it, right? (laughs) We have no use for it. So why would we hold on to something we have no use for? But see, a lot of times when we experience and we encounter offense or we choose to be offended, this is what it looks like in the spirit. We carry around our trash with us. We carry our offense with us. Now the problem is, is it stinks. And see, what we do is, when we carry something long enough, we get used to the stench, right? And so we don't begin to notice that. Just, you know, can you watch that for me? Just make sure no one takes that. Okay, thanks. So what we do is we grow accustomed to the stench and to the smell of the trash that we have. And so we don't notice it. But those who are around us, they begin to notice something's different, something's odd, something just isn't right. And we can't place our finger on it. Hmm, now I know what they had for lunch on Friday. So what we do is we just carry this offense around with us everywhere. And we grow so accustomed to our offense that we don't even realize it smells. And before you know it, everyone around us starts to smell. And they start to notice, Matt, can you keep an eye on this for me? Thanks. And so we just let it linger. And so when we come on Sunday mornings and when we come on Wednesdays and when we go to our small group gatherings or we have our little Bible studies, we bring it with us. We carry it wherever we go. And then when people ask us what that is that we're carrying on our backs, well, we, you know, well, it's nothing. Don't worry. I'm totally fine. We give the normal Christianese answer, right? Hey, how you doing, buddy? Oh, I'm good. How are you doing today? Oh, great. But the, Keep an eye on that for me, Joel. Thanks. But see, we give this normal, typical Christian answer, and really, we can see what's going on in the lives of others around us, and we're carrying all this offense around with us, and it just stinks. It's just gross. So what do we do with this? How do we overcome this offense? We have to ask Jesus for his perspective. So there's something amazing about Jesus Christ. Jesus has a different view than we do. He looks at everything through the cross. The filter that Jesus looks at us with is the cross. And so when the Father looks at us, he looks to Jesus, and Jesus says, got it taken care of. Yeah, Dad, I know there's some things they're dealing with, But remember, the cross, we took care of that. So I promise you, 
they'll be spotless by the time I pick them up. You see, Jesus looks through the cross, and this is important for us to understand, because when Jesus went to the cross, he was beaten, he was whipped. We know all of the things that we go through because we quote it so much, and we say he had the crown of thorns put on his head, but I don't think we grasp the reality of what really happened that day and how it affected us for eternity. Because when Jesus went to the cross, he was the only man who ever walked the earth in the flesh, God in flesh, the only one who had the only authority and the only right to be offended. He was the only one. The only one who could raise offense and say, I am offended because they have beaten me. I have been just. I'm offended because they have wounded me and they desire to kill me when I have served them and I have loved them unconditionally. He was the only one who had the right to offense. And Christ sets this example for us on the cross and he says to us, what I am doing, you must do also. Therefore, me going to the cross, I annihilate all of your rights when you come to follow me. And therefore, you have no right to be offended at your brother or your sister, regardless of the situation or the circumstance. And as Christ hung on the cross, he annihilated every single right. Because he gave it up himself. And we're no longer entitled to the right of offense. See, the message of the cross is the most offensive message that we will ever preach, teach, and hear. The reason is, is because it offends our flesh. It goes against the grain. It goes against with how we were birthed into this world. And so there's nothing wonderful and rosy about the message of the cross when you get down to the nitty-gritty. The message of the cross is adventurous, humbling, and offensive. And dangerous. When we keep a refreshing openness and see from his perspective together, we triumph through peace. I find peace to be an interesting concept. Because in the scriptures, Jesus told us, blessed are the peacemakers. Followers of Christ are to be peacemakers, which means we speak peace, we bring peace, we share peace. And we live in peace. Now, our culture really emphasizes a lot about peace. Let me give you some examples. We believe that no war will bring us peace. If we side and believe in gay and human rights, that we all live together, and that there is such things as Adam and Steve, and not just Adam and Eve, we'll have peace. We also believe that if we can end racism, we will have peace. Just some more. It's pretty familiar. And finally this. Our ultimate ending is if we just coexist together. If we just coexist together, that will be our avenue of peace and we'll solve all the world's problems. Those words there for coexist, that's combining Islam and peace, male and female, Judaism, Wicca, Baha'i, Taoism, Confucianism, Christianity. If we just... I'll blend all that together. We'll just be one big happy family. We'll all encounter peace. But see, it's interesting because we talk about peace, we preach on peace, we teach on peace, but peace is the least weapon that we ever use to battle offense when it comes our way. The last choice we ever choose to pick up when battling. 
Because see, peace is a weapon that God has given to us. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27 through 29 here. It says, and do not give the devil a foothold. I want you to go ahead and circle that word foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. Do something useful with his hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk, put a square around that, come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I want you to put a square or a circle around that word benefit. That word that word that I had you circle or put a box around, meaning foothold, in the Greek, it's the word topos. And what that means is, it means the picture of it is a foot in the door. I remember when I was younger, my parents would hire babysitters when they would go out on their dates because my brothers and sisters were all too old and they were just too cool to babysit and they wanted to spend time with their, with their other significant, significant others. So my parents would hire babysitters and I hated babysitters. I could not stand babysitters. Uh, if you ever babysat me and I didn't know, I apologize right now for what I put you through. But I hated babysitters. In fact, one night I thought, you know what, I'm going to show this babysitter who's boss. So I purposefully shut my bedroom door. And as I'm in my room, I get a knock on my door from the babysitter. So she slowly opens the door and she puts her head through. And so I thought, yeah, I'll fix her. So what I did is when I went up to talk to her, I put my foot in the door. So that way she couldn't close it. And when she tried to close it, she kept going like this. And so I just took my foot out of the door. Bam! Some of you just woke up. Smacked her head right between the door and the door jamb. And I thought it was the most hilarious thing in the world. The truth was, I heard her. And see, this is one thing that we got to understand is that Paul was telling us and saying, don't let the devil get a foothold in your door of your life. Because once he gets that foot in there, he has the authority to control what's going on. And he goes on to say that that word topos actually means an inhibited place. So it's not only does the enemy stop there at the door, but he walks right in. And he brings everything else with him. He brings his whole party with him. And that word on wholesome talk, it actually means rotten or corrupted. So basically what we have here is when we choose to side with offense, what happens is the enemy comes in, gets a foothold into our door. And when he comes in, he brings with him all this rotten stuff. And he creates a place for us to live in. Remember I was talking about how God doesn't like roommates that aren't supposed to be there? And so what happens is, is the enemy comes in with all of this trash. It's rotten, it smells, and it's disgusting. And what we do is we try to live with it. We try to live with it. And that's not the intention of God's heart. See, when we are under pressure of offense, there's a choice to be made. We have two choices. One, we can either fold or we can focus. If we choose to fold in the midst of the pressure of offense, then we march into battle and we partner with the enemy and we choose to use his weapons of offense to fight our battles. At that point, you're no longer on God's team when you choose to do that. If we choose to focus in the moment when we're faced with offense, 
then what we do is we march into the presence of God and we lay down our offense before him and we say, I can't rightfully own this. You have to take care of this. It's yours. See, a lot of times, though, that's not our our response. Instead of responding to God, we react to the enemy. So when we are bound to the Holy Spirit, we're able to live in a place of calm and rest. And we overcome unresolved offense by being overjoyed. Overjoyed is a real word. Now, I want you to think about this. When was the last time did you ever see a person that was overjoyed like this? Hey, how you doing? Good. What's exciting? Not much. Are you excited? Yep. You seem really overjoyed. I am. What's Jesus doing in your life? Bunch of stuff. You seem pretty pumped up. Yep. That's not overjoyed. But that's what we're like when we're offended. But see, if we are bound to the Holy Spirit in relationship with the Holy Spirit and we're working at that relationship, then there is this place of calm and peace that God provides for us that when we have the opportunity to choose the avenue of offense, we focus in on the eyes of Christ and we say, not today. I don't want to waste my energy. I don't want to waste my time dealing with that. And instead of extending forgiveness in the moment... We have a choice to choose as well not to extend forgiveness. I like what Paul says, that word there, benefit. Because that word benefit means grace, joy, and pleasure. And so when we're overjoyed, everyone else benefits. That's the beauty of this. Now, when we put all of this together, we have to submit to the process. Now, hear me when I say this, because this is very important. Submitting to the process is more about our personal development than the individual who offended us. Submitting to the process is more about our personal internal development than the one who offended us. But, Pastor, you don't understand. I was falsely accused. Ah, shh. Our personal development is more about our personal development than the one who offended us. God will deal with the offender. But first, God wants to develop something deep within us so that we can properly return to the offender in a scriptural manner. A process is simply a series of steps that takes us from one place to another. Look with me in verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Process is that place where the Creator reveals His intentions for us. One thing is about the Holy Spirit, He's not into making the process fast and quick. And we hate that. Every time God comes with a process, it seems to be so slow because there's a lot of development that needs to take place. What I love about the intentions of God is Paul writes it for us right there in verse 32 and on. He says part of that development process is learning to respond in kindness. 
It's about learning to respond in compassion. And it's about learning to respond with forgiveness. But if we abuse our relationship with the Holy Spirit, if we abuse our relationship with Jesus, our frustration bends and the flesh implants conflict and dissension among us. See, if we choose not to follow the process the Holy Spirit gives us, then dissension and conflict not only is sown within our immediate lives, but within all those around us that we commune with here in this community. And if we don't submit to the process, the enemy will never submit to us. I'm not a guy for formulas, but let me give you a little illustration to understand this. And you can write this on your your, uh, outline if you want. But simply this, process plus obedience equals authority. Process plus obedience equals authority. Now, what do I mean by this? When we choose to submit to the process of the Holy Spirit, we have no choice but to respond out of obedience. When we respond out of obedience, we gain authority over the enemy. But see, if the enemy sees us not choosing to submit to the process of the Holy Spirit, and if the enemy sees us deciding and choosing not to walk in obedience with the Father, we lose authority, and the enemy knows that. And therefore, why would the enemy bother to entertain us when we have no authority in the first place? He'll just overrule us. So if we choose not to submit to the process... We disobey and we have no authority. But if we submit to the process, we walk in obedience and we gain authority over the enemy. And for some of us, the reason we are not gaining authority in our situations of offense is because maybe we haven't submitted to the process of the Holy Spirit fully. Which brings me to this. Forgiveness is part of our spiritual growth. Forgiveness is part of our spiritual growth. God gave it to us for a reason. Forgiveness is not a one-time deal, but it is a process for us to grow through and learn from. Look with me at Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. It says this, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, then you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree One about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. I want you to circle that word agree in verse 19. That's an important word. That word agree, what I find so amazing is this, first of all, Jesus starts off his his teaching. And in his teaching, he talks about how If someone's offended you, you got to take care of that. But I love it because he's so genius in the way he teaches. I mean, being the son of God and all, he probably has 
that going for him. But what I find so genius about him is that he mingles two separate teachings together and he puts it because he says, here's the criticalness. They can't be separated. They have to go together. And I caught this when I was reading this, that Jesus says first, here's the deal. You have to overcome offense with one another. You have to be willing to forgive each other and move forward. Because if you want to agree on one thing, if you want to see heaven manifested on the earth, you can't have it until you forgive one another. You can't have it until you overcome that offense. And he takes that word agree and he so ties it in there in such a beautiful way. And he just kind of throws it in there. And he says, if one of you or more agree, and you ask on this thing, it'll be done. And as I was reading that, I kept going back, and the Holy Spirit said, you have to look at the word agree. And so I looked at that word agree. In the Greek, it's spelled symphoneo. It's a picture of a symphony. That when everything comes together, everything sounds beautiful. That it's not intended to be by itself. And the actual wording means to sound together. Jesus tells us and says, listen, when two or more of you sound together, when two or more of you agree and you sound together, when you overcome your offense and you sound together, you create a symphony in the heavens. And then I can do what I want to do. See, right now, Rick is demonstrating for us what it is to have an individual in the body of Christ who is willing to reconcile offense. See, do you hear the beauty of that? Just listen to it a minute. Close your eyes. Just close your eyes. Concentrate on that beauty for a moment. Let it sink in. Do you hear the beauty? That is the intention of God for our hearts is to allow that sound to permeate through the Spirit. But now I want to demonstrate for you what it means for someone that Rick desires to reconcile with. But I'm still harboring my offense against him. He's come to me numerous of times and said, you know, Jason, listen, I really have this issue with you and I just want to reconcile it. And you hear the beauty there? And my response to Rick is this. Well, Rick, I really don't want to be with you. I really don't want to reconcile. But you know what? Let's still worship together. Let's still be together. Let's still hang out in the community of, of Christ. Because we can still harmonize, right? That's what happens. That's what God gives us the picture of. Total, complete chaos. Makes no sense because it doesn't go together. There is no symphoneo. There is no symphony. So when I choose to be offended and I choose to feel that I have justice by holding on to my offense to those who have offended me, that's what we sound like when we come together to worship on a Sunday morning. That's what we sound like when we gather together in our small groups. That's what we sound like when we're out among the community. But see, the intentions of God's heart 
is that when we reconcile and we forgive one another and move past our offenses, we begin to see this beautiful harmony start. And it moves from one person to the next. And then from there over to there, and to there, and to there, and to there. And before you know it, there is this beauty in the body of Christ that is moving, and God finds it so attractive. So I have a question for you. Isn't it about time? Really, isn't it about time? Aren't you sick? Aren't you tired? Aren't you worn out? Aren't you ready to be refreshed? Are you tired of just banging on the same old drum set of offense over and over and over? Don't you want to sound beautiful? Or do you want to settle for this? I'm going to ask you to stand right where you are. I'm going to ask our elders if they would come up and just, elders and their spouses, and if we have any available staff, just go ahead and come up and make your way down through here. I want to make our elders available this morning that if you want prayer for anything, you can just come down and they'll anoint you with oil and pray for you. But here's the big thing. Here's what's most important. If you are dealing with offense, and I don't have to tell you, you know, you know it. If you are dealing with any form of offense, the scriptures tell us that you're to leave your offering before you even give it. Whether it's an offering of worship, an offering through finance, whatever it is, you're supposed to leave it first and go reconcile with that individual. That is your number one job in your spiritual growth. So I want to challenge you this morning before you make way to your cars. If there is somebody in this community of faith that you feel has offended you, it is your number one duty to make your way to them so that you can extend forgiveness, ask for forgiveness, and harmonize together and be souphaneo before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let me pray for you. Father, I want to thank you for each and every individual in this place. Father, we want to be a sound that is beautiful to you. We don't want to be a clashing cymbal and a clanging gong, Lord God, that make no sense. So, Father, I pray, God, Lord, you would just allow the Holy Spirit to be free in this place, sifting through the wells of our hearts, and that we would allow you to take up residency. And I pray that, Lord, where those areas of offense lie within us, bubble them to the top, Lord God, so that we can extend forgiveness and ask for forgiveness and be a beautiful symphony together in the name of Jesus. Father, I ask now that you would protect each one of us spiritually, mentally, and physically. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.